Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com breadbox. Hello and welcome to Beneath the Surface. Glad you could join us today. Today, we delve beneath the surface on the sixth, number six, um, episode of a series that we're doing on Beneath the Surface called The Creed Beneath the Surface. And we're taking the Nicene Creed and every little phrase, every little line, and making an entire show out of it so that we can understand it uh, rather than simply just recite it. Um, so just a little recap. Our first show, number one, we talked about uh, We Believe or I believe actually. And we talked about what belief means. On the second show of the series, we talked about in one God. I believe in one God. So we talked about monotheism and what it means to believe in one God. And those two lines are actually that one line, I believe in one God, sets up the creed. To talk about the first person of God, which is the next line in the creed, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Of all things, um, no, actually that was the that was number three, uh, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we talked about the Father and creation. And in uh, number three, or is it number four? Number four, <laughs> we talked about the next line in the creed, which is all things visible and invisible. So what did God create? What did the Father, who is creator, create? Well, he created the visible universe, which uh, can be seen, whether it be through the naked eye, a telescope or a microscope or what have you, whenever we get the scopes to see it, we can see it, Those, that's the visible part. And then we talked about the invisible part, which is the world of angels and the fallen angels, which are called demons, heaven and hell. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And number five, which was our last show was, and we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about basically those three words, Lord, Jesus, and Christ, and what they all mean. And here we are in episode number six with my wonderful guest, Mr., and I'll introduce him in a second, but we will go over the next line in the creed, which is the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. The mysterious part of the creed uh, relating to the divinity of Christ. And there he is, ladies and gentlemen, Father Tony Blunt. How are you, Tony? Father Blunt. Good, good, Paul. Good to see you, <laughs> you know, again. I, 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 sometimes that slips because, as you know, <laughs> I knew you since the 1980s uh, when we, when we had, were roommates with your brother. And who now you and him are priests and I am not. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's good to have you back here on Beneath the Surface, your second time delving beneath the surface with us. Glad you could join us on this Divine Mercy Sunday. What'd you do wow. today? Really quickly. Okay. Well, one thing we did today is we had the 
uh, divine mercy devotion uh, from three o'clock at three o'clock in the afternoon. It lasted till four thirty. We'll say in the parking lot of our giant church. It's a giant parking lot. Yes. So yes. we had probably a thousand people. It seemed like hundreds of cars. Now, in the in the era of Corona lockdowns, were were there any police around, and did you get any hassle? Uh, they did call the police on us. Somebody did. Really? Yes. Wow. Uh, but fortunately, the police in Detroit like they're very, they they love the church <laughs> and uh it oh, that's a, good yeah it's a good thing and uh <laughs> so they're very they under they're, they're very great and uh they just they ended up helping us out they said do you need any help really yeah that's all they said wow and I said, okay, yeah sure we could use your help because we had so many cars it was just simply unbelievable yeah and and the blessed sacrament was exposed, blessed sacrament was exposed upon the altar we pray that the Chapel of Divine Mercy, uh, through, of course, through a loud microphone for all the families, all their needs and all their troubles. And then after we adore the Lord in silence, um, we ended up giving uh, the blessing, the benediction to every single car. So, wow. each, so each car would drive up like a drive-through mm. blessing. Yes. And uh, we would face them for a minute, for a second, and then give them the blessing, each family, which I tell you, uh, really makes your biceps grow. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That was uh, something else. Wow. I mean, who'd ever thought we would be doing this? I mean, not that it's bad, but it's it's interesting to do things like this outside of the box. Interesting. And let's say, how many times does a single family by itself get the benediction of us as sacrament? Uh, mm. that, that doesn't happen, you know, as a rule. Right. Uh, right. So in a way, it's something that would not, would not have happened normally anyway. Wow. Wow. Awesome. You ready to shift gears? Yes. All right. So we're on the part of the creed that says uh, the only begotten son of God, born of the father before all ages. Now, let's, um, we, this is the part of the creed that delves into the divinity of Christ. In a few episodes from now, we will delve into the humanity of Christ. But right now we're in the mysterious divinity of Christ. Let's start with the word only since it's basically after the, it's the first word of this phrase, only begotten son. Why is that important to say that he's the only, we always hear that he's the only begotten son. Well, I mean, that goes up. Uh, yeah. The, in, in God, uh, it, it is an amazing reality. We're talking about here, Paul, even to speak hmm. about such re remarkable things Yeah. that, that in God, there are two processions and, uh, you know, the one God, two processions, three persons, uh, four relations. That's the way it's usually said. So the amazing, in, in God, there are processions. In other words, uh, there are persons that come forth from other persons in God. And, and because there are processions in God, that's why the theologians say there are processions outside of God, meaning us. Yes. That's really a mysterious thing too. Yeah. So. We have the procession in God of the only son. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so God brings forth from all eternity, his image, his infinitely loving, glorious image, the exact image of the father. This is a mysterious thing. Let's face it. I mean, yes. very, we can try our best to put it in the words. That's all we're doing is that, trying. That's, that's what we're doing. And what the theologians sometimes would put it, there's different ways of explaining this, but one way of putting it, of course, is that, in God, are the, are the whole reality of knowing and loving, of course, is present in God himself. 
and we're in his image, which is why we have knowing and loving as part of us. Yeah. But knowing and loving is present in God in, an, in a way which we can't, we, it's in an infinite way. So God knows himself and loves himself, of course. But what does that mean? When you say God knows himself, you're talking about something astounding. Mm. God's knowledge of himself, okay, knowledge always terminates in a, what's called a word. It terminates in this way, a concept. Hmm? So when I know something, I bring forth a concept of what I, that's how I, and so you could say my knowing is, you might say within that, my, the concept expresses my knowledge. Like I know you right yeah. now. When yeah, God's so, concept, so, so, when... so the, the concept is like a, something that comes forth from the mind as that which is known. And which is why it's called concept. We use the word conception for a mm. baby, you know? Right. Uh, and, and by the way, there is there is an analogy to make about that too, but we'll talk about that later. Yes. Right. So in conception, you know, a conception is the fruit, uh, the fruit of love. Mm. In conception, so you have a, someone who comes forth. Huh? Yes. So the same happens within our minds. There's, there's a coming forth, a kind of, you might call it an intellectual birth. So God, God is eternal and infinite. And in his um, contemplation of himself is this word, which is the perfect replica of himself. That is the concept that you speak of. God knows himself with an infinite knowing. He knows, he knows his infinite essence, we would say. And yes, and, and when he knows his infinite essence, okay, um, an infinite word, you might say, comes forth. The yeah. image of the Father perfectly in every way. So he's God like the Father, God proceeding from God. And this only happens once for all eternity. This now I'm not talking about the spiration. We'll get to the Holy Spirit later. But this begins begetting of one's uh, of his own image uh that that's why the word only is there because it doesn't happen more than once it can't happen more than once right it right god yeah that's right there's only god only has one word hmm. uh, one word by which he knows himself infinitely and you know i also might see might say i have a word about myself too i know who i hmm. am but yeah. my word is not infinite God's right. word is infinite as God himself is. Because, yeah, because he is. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, so, I would add this, though. He's the only begotten son of God, right? But maybe we should just say this. I know it's jumping ahead. But it's because the amazing thing about this in Christianity, of course, is that in some astounding way, we share in, the, the, we, we share in this reality of God the son. We actually share in that. So uh, that's an amazing thing about Christianity, our sharing in Christ's very own unique sonship. Yeah. And that's why St. Paul says that we are adopted sons of God, because in Christ, uh, we become um, a child of God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we really share in this in the sonship of Jesus Christ. That's how lovely that is, that God desired that to, to you know, to allow that to happen. Um, in this line of the creed. In the first part of it, it says begotten. On the second part, it says born. Begotten, the only begotten son of God, born of the Father before all ages. Now, here's my question to you. And I think I know the answer, but I want your answer. What is the difference in common parlance and theological uh, difference between the words begotten and born? Hmm. Well, Paul, 
That's quite the question there. <laughs> I'm full of them. I'm the, I'm the man with all the questions with, with not, not all that many answers. Let me see. I haven't really begotten and born. All right, this is, this is my understanding, okay. Father Tony, that begotten is what comes from the father. The, the masculine principle or the father begets a child, whereas that a child is born of the mother. That's, that seems to be how it's always been used, those words. And that's why it's a little puzzling to me because we're using them interchangeably here in the new translation of the creed, which is with the older translation of the creed, there was no problem because it was simply eternally begotten of the father. There was no born, but now it's born of the father of all. So I'm just wondering, before yeah, before all ages. So I'm wondering, and maybe there is no you know, answer to this, but why uh, both words are used in, in this new translation of the creed. Hmm, that's a good, good question. Uh, I guess I'm not sure that they're all that distinct. They certainly are related to each other. But to be born of the Father before all ages, um, it's, it's really beautiful, you know, that there's, first of all, we have to say this, that our Lord's coming forth from his Father, the mysterious thing, it has no beginning. Right. And the main part of that phrase is born of the Father before all ages. Right. The main stress is that, that his coming forth has no beginning, right? Mm, right. Um, a very important thing to say, because that's been, a, that's been a, uh, throughout the ages, that's been a difficulty. People saying that he was born of the father, but not before all ages. Right. Uh, that, right. It was, uh, that he had a beginning. Arianism, right? That was part Arianism of their... and um, even the modern version of it, which was the Jehovah's mm. Witnesses. Yeah. Uh, the same right. thing. So the main part about that part of the creed, I would say, is what, what the creed is getting at is that our Lord has, he's born of the Father, but with no beginning. He comes forth mm. with no beginning. Now, the the beautiful way that the uh, saints would express this, they also often said this, that our Lord was uh, born of the Father without a mother and yeah. born of his mother without a father. So in, in, in all, from all eternity, he was born mm. of the Father without need of a mother, right. but in time, he was born of a human mother without a human father. Yes. There's something so fitting right. and poetic about that. No question about it. And with regard to the difference or the distinction between begotten and born, I think perhaps we could look at it this way, maybe, that with sexual reproduction, you are begotten of the father and born of the mother. Perhaps in asexual reproduction, you are born of the original uh, uh, being. So, so you are born of the, uh, of the father, you could say. Uh, for example, Adam and Eve, it kind of you know, reflects an asexuality involved in that with regard to reproduction, um, that Eve was born of Adam himself. There was no sexual reproduction there. Um, so, so in that respect, you could say that the, the, the son is born of the father uh, because there is no mother. So born right up, you know, if you could use um, concrete language, born of the bosom of the father uh, in that respect. And of course, he's eternally begotten because he's outside of time. That's just one way of looking at it. Well, I think it's interesting that the word born is used only of Jesus, of the three persons. Now, and, he's, and he's the only one of the persons who actually was born. Yeah. As far as, as this world is concerned. Right born right. of the Virgin Mary, he right. already has born as part of the way he is. He's the only one who's born in the Trinity. Yeah. Right. That's fascinating. And that he continues that, you might say, in a different way in time, mm. is being born. Do you see an analogy between 
the son being born of the father and Eve being born of Adam? Some kind of theological analogy there? Yes, there certainly is an analogy um, because, there's no, no, there's no question because mm. with our first parents, you know, we're, we're in the image of God in more than one way. Uh, each one of us is, of course, in the image of God. But mm. also, we're in the image of God in this other fashion because in God, you have one person coming from another person. And at the same time, equal in, in essence and nature and everything else, coming forth. In the same way with our first parents, we have Eve coming forth from Adam. Now, yeah. that, that seems to reflect very similar. It, it's, it reflects the son coming forth from the father, no question, because she comes forth from the Adam's side. The only this, difference, but the difference is that both of them have a beginning. And, and in Trinity, neither has a beginning. Correct. But yeah. there's a coming forth from his side, which shows that she's equal to him, yet distinct. A distinct e person. Equal, distinct, and yet you see um, a, a difference in them in as much as what Pope Pius the, uh, 11th once said in Casti Canubi, that she is the heart of the family or of humanity and he the head. So there is a, 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 a distinguished, a distinguished uh, point to be made here about the order of authority here, even though they're co-equal. Co the son is always saying, I, I am here to do one thing only, and that is the will of the father. So th there seems to be an order of authority, even though there's a co-equality of, of dignity of, of personhood. Yes? There's, yes, you can certainly say that. There's an hierarchy, even in the Trinity, you might say, even though all three persons are co-eternal and co-equal. Hmm. Because the father is source, in a sense, source of God. Right. Well, he's the, he's the hmm. principle without principle. In right. other words, uh, he, uh, he's the only one. He, he doesn't come forth from any other divine person. Right. Right. So, yes. And but what's interesting though is that um, yeah, as I say, the for our first parents, yes, we reflect God, of course, in the family. The family is a reflection of God. Uh, with you know, with, first of all, with Eve coming forth from Adam, you have a the first procession in the family of two persons who are equal yet distinct. And then, of course, their love for each other, uh, bringing forth the third person, the child. How beautiful that is. And, of course, in God, we have the third person coming yeah. forth from the Father and the Son. But that's not today's discussion. Well, and, and of course, in Scripture, uh, the analogy, of course, is Cain. He, is, he would maybe reflect the Holy Spirit as proceeding from Adam and Eve, and then Abel, and, and then eventually Seth. So, yeah, there's definitely a Trinitarian aspect of the, of the family to which we, we reflect God, or image God, uh, in his Trinitarian nature. But you're right, we will, we'll, we'll delve into that uh, at another show, but that, there's a lot of good stuff to say about that. Yes, yes, and it's interesting how, um, as I said, Eve coming forth from Adam is like the son coming forth from the father. It's like that, yes. But what's interesting though, is that the son is called the word or the wisdom of God. Yeah, eternal what's, wisdom, yeah. What's fascinating is all, and that in the books of wisdom, in the scriptures, wisdom is always portrayed feminine. as Feminine, yeah, feminine, that's very good. In, in one sense, now, nobody get the, the wrong idea of this because Jesus is as masculine as they come. But in, in another sense, the son coming forth from the father is the feminine principle in the relationship between the father and the son. 
you, you could say are, are the are the reactive or the um, the the, um, the the passive principle in in the relationship. Well, perhaps you could say that. I mean, he certainly is in in the Trinity. There is uh, you know eternal giving and receiving of being. Yes. So I mean, but the son receives from the father. Yes. Exactly. He like receives a, from the like father. a wife receives from the husband and perhaps nine months later gives back what she received mixed with her in the form of a baby. Well. And that's of course the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, but we'll talk about that later. Before all ages. Why before and that was not in the um the uh, translation of the older um, the older translation of the creed, born of the Father before all ages. That's almost redundant because if he is eternally begotten, then there is no before. He just is. You know what I'm saying? Well, it was, uh, however, it was a tremendous difficulty for seven centuries. Yeah. That, before, you know, that, that the son they kept trying to say was not born before all ages. Mm. And that would be very, you know, so they were trying to reduce the sun. Some in the early church, various groups, Arius being the chief one. Uh, there were others trying to reduce him basically to a, a creature of the highest degree. Right. And right. that's not sufficient. Yeah. He's not a creature of the highest. God loves us too much for that. He didn't send a creature of the highest degree. Right. He sent his only begotten son. Man, Within the Trinity, yes. Everything depends on that. That's mm. the whole message of Christianity. Yeah. Um, but philosophically speaking, because this is beneath the surface, uh, you can't really say, when you say he is born before time, uh, there is no before when it comes to, I mean, if, if God created time, you really can't say he was born before time. You, you, perhaps you could say it would make more sense to say his, his, um, his coming forth, his generation of the Father is uh, eternal or outside of time or transcends time. Yes? Because the word before is a time, is a temporal word. Oh, yes. Well, I'm, it's true, I mean, uh, to say before time, but it gets the point across that uh, there, you, you know, you, can you talk about time before time? That doesn't sound, you know, that doesn't mm. sound a bit funny. But um, when I hear when I hear before all ages, I think, OK, before time. But there was a point before time where he was begotten of the father. That's not true. But that seems to be what, where my mind in, in my understanding of English goes when I hear uh, begotten. When I hear that line, I personally I like the old. This is one of the only phrases of the creed, I think, that I like the older translation better. And that the son is eternally begotten of the father. To me, that hits the spot. There, there is no time. He simply is eternally begotten of the Father. Never happened in time. Always is. Okay. Uh, well, there's like a double emphasis there that he was uh, born before all ages. I have to look that up as he was, well, about the development of that, Paul. But um, it would be, I would only say that uh, the it would be worth emphasizing because so many debates in in the early church for so many centuries, even to this day. They hung. They all. They were, they were around that very point. Uh, they had mm. ways of getting around even eternal Son of God. Somehow they got Which, around that too. Eternally begotten of the Father. Yeah, they they, they found yeah. ways around everything. Yeah. Yeah. So the church has to kind of emphasize it. For instance, in the next part of the creed, 
why does it have God from God, light from light, true God from true God? Right. Well, St. Thomas Aquinas goes into why it's like that in great depth, but it sounds to mm -hmm. us like it's repetitious. Just say God from God. Haven't you said everything already? Yeah. But uh, yet you have to you have to repeat it for various reasons and they're rather deep theological reasons. Yeah. But it does sound a bit repetitious. Yeah. Yeah, but but you have to get the point across Those, because uh, it is the issue. Those deep theological reasons we will go over next show because that is our next show: God from God, Light from Light, True God from True God. But it's, it's, it is similar to this show in as much as we're talking about the great mystery of uh, the Son coming forth from the Father from all eternity. Let's look at the term Son of God. Um, the only begotten Son of God. Now, there are two ways to look at this term Son of God. One is that God means Trinity. And if you look at it that way, then the Son of God is like the Father, the first person is the Father of God, and the third person is the Holy Spirit of God. The second person is the Son of God. But if you look at the word God as the Father, then it's simply Christ, Jesus, uh, the second person is the Son of the Father. So you would say, I would imagine, that we need to look at the word God there as Father and not Trinity. Correct? When it says only begotten Son of God? Yes. Uh, yes, that would be. Well, he's only begot. He, he's this, the only begotten son of God who was unbegotten. I mean, so there's there's the there's God who is uh, unbegotten God. Then there's yeah. the begotten God. So, yes, God unbegotten only refers to the Father. A lot so of this people, is why the word God is sometimes used only for the Father. Yes, that's an important point because I think a lot of people when they hear the word God they think Trinity. And they think to themselves, well, how can, how can Jesus be the son of the Trinity? He can't be the son of the son, as well as the son of the Holy Spirit. Right. So he is the son of the father. And, and hence, my next question would be, wouldn't it be clearer if the creed said son of the father rather than son of God? Um, I would say no, um, because, uh, you know, throughout scripture, uh, God is revealed to the Jewish people. He's, you know, he's revealing himself uh, to us slowly but surely, right? It, it, progressive revelation. So he's yeah. revealing himself. And so first, the first thing to come to is that there's simply one God. That in itself is a tremendous achievement for the human race. No question. I mean, it was... Only, one it, only God. One only God. And then to say that God has a son, that, that's, that's a next, next giant leap. That within God, there's more than one person. So it's understandable that would say the only son of God. Because, you know, the, the term God, you know, in general, yeah, it's used in both ways uh, for, for Christians. But it refers in a certain primary, it, it refers to, it often refers to the father only. It refers to the father mm. because this is how, this is, this is the history or the, how God, the economy of revelation, how God revealed himself. So I would say that the word God um, applies to, it, it, it has both senses to it, right? Yes, you can mean the Trinity. In a special way, though, it means the first person of Trinity who is the source of the other, who is the source of the other two persons. Exactly. So mm. needs to be, you know, it's okay to use it in that way. Mm. As, as, long as, you, as, as long as you understand you're, that Jesus is not the son of the Holy Spirit and he's not the son of the son because he is the son. <laughs> yes. Right. 
I'm, I don't mean to be politically correct with this next question because I'm totally against that in, in all of its uh, phases. However, why do you think the early church came to the, came to the uh, language uh, in the Greek, uh, son of God rather than child of God? In the, in the second person, before he was incarnate, of course, before he was human. Good question. Uh, sometimes the word child is actually used in very ancient documents because the word is rather in, in Latin, for example, you know, filii and all that, filius, okay, you can say filia, but uh, sometimes the word child is used. Uh, why was the word son used particularly? Um, that's a very... Uh, well, let, let, me, let me suggest something. Maybe, maybe it began with Jesus. Maybe it began with the incarnation where Jesus called himself the son of God. And of course he was male. Uh, so then we, we just sort of, because the, the, the person of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity took on a human nature, uh, it would make sense for us to call the second person of the Trinity God's son rather than God's child, no? Well, it's important to say though that God's, he was God's son from all eternity. Right. Uh, long before maleness became part of his human nature, right? And, and why do you think that is rather than God's child from all eternity? Yeah, right. That's a very good, that's a good thought. I mean, he's not God's daughter from all no. eternity. Right. Um, he's the perfect reflection of the father. Maybe that's part of it. Uh, to be a perfect, you know, the perfect reflection of his, his dad, his father. Mm. And so he reflects him. It makes, it might make some sense in that fashion. And yet God has all masculine and all feminine. Uh, all qualities. All yes. qualities that we have here on earth. Well, all three persons do. Infinite, infinite and eternal degree. Yes. So, so while we understand and we use the masculine principle with both the father and the son, we understand that too, that he has all those qualities. It's almost like um, Adam or Adam before the split of Adam and Eve. Well, look, you could certainly, yes, you could certainly ask the question, why did God make Adam first and not Eve first? And have Adam come forth from Eve? Uh, but there's, there, there is some sort of order in these relations. Yes, that's that's and, what I'm getting at, yeah. Yeah, it, the church comes forth from Christ, not Christ from the church. And it's interesting how when we use the word God, uh, we, use the, we speak of the Father in a sense as the identity of God, like we said earlier. When we say Son of God, we're talking about the Father. Uh, all of our prayers at Mass go through the Son, almost all of them, through the Son to the Father. Um, so there's something identifiable about God with the Father, perhaps like there is about Adam with the human race. Yes. Mm. I should add this though about the yeah. Son, because uh, primogenitor, like what you see in the, in the Old Testament is the firstborn Son is incredibly important mm. in Scripture. Uh, this goes from, you know, from the very beginning. And you can think of Abraham's only begotten Son. Right. Uh, Isaac, you know, uh, or your 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 only son, your your mm. your beloved, mm. um, and then you have it you have it with uh, Jacob's two sons, and it, it's a continuous thing about the well, the firstborn, well, and of course the, the, in, covenant, in the Exodus, the yes, covenant the would Exodus. go through the covenant would go through the firstborn son, so that's that's another reason why it was so important. Right, the firstborn yeah. son had to be present in the temple, only right. the firstborn son. Right, and there's no question this was preparing for Christ Jesus. Yeah. Uh, mysteriously, the firstborn son. It's, you're asking a good question, Paul. I must you know, say, why is it not mm. the firstborn daughter, the firstborn child? 
Our child, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's, a, there's a, some order, God desires things in this way, in some mysterious way. As you yeah. said before, there is a, a certain, in other words, there's a certain beautiful hum, meaning in human sexuality that I think had been neglected in mm -hmm. modern times about right. the equality, but at the same time, the true distinction between men and women is very profound. Yes. And that's not yeah. just biological. Yeah, I, I, I tend to like the, uh, the analogy that um, Pius XI gave, that the man is the head and the woman is the heart. And what, what is the identity of the person? Well, it's usually the head. Yeah, the heart is more, more hidden. Uh, it's the life giver, the nurturer of every part of the body. It's, it's absolutely indispensable. In fact, the head would die without the heart, obviously. <laughs> They're so co-equal, yet it's the head that you see and you identify the person with. Uh, well, unless you mean the emotional heart, you know. In other words, no, I was, talking, is, I was talking about the physical heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The heart, I, I think maybe even that uh, the Pope probably had that in mind, that the woman is the heart of the home. Yeah. And it's, I mean, in every possible right. way. And how beautiful that is, the love that she exudes. Mm -hmm. Let's say without her, you won't want to say you don't have a home. It's almost like that. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's how critical she is. That there's no home without her. A problem, I think, with modern feminism, which and there are many, is that uh, you, it, it was the attempt to have a two-headed body without any heart. And you just, you know, bodies die if you don't have a heart and you have two heads. Um, so that just, it's a, it's a problem. Well, it's also not, yeah. relationships die. Relationships die, families die. Uh, if you don't societies have. Societies die. And, and of yeah. course, this is, this is part of the problem that we have today. But anyway, um, any last words? We're, we're cutting it close here to the edge. The only begotten son of God, born of the father before all ages. Last word, Father Tony Blunt of Holy Redeemer Parish in Detroit, Michigan. Well, I would say, you know, everything is contained in, in this mystery. God's love for us is contained in this beautiful truth of Christianity that's so beyond us that in God, this beautiful reality of there's a coming forth, the, the, the Father, the Son from the Father. It's so glorious. It's so beautiful. God's love, infinite love for his divine Son, Jesus. And the fact that that infinite love, he was, he does, God desired to try to, under, try to take this in, hmm. that the, in, in the influence of the, of the Father for the Son, it was God's desire to hand him over. Why would anyone do this? I mean, to hand him over, not an angel, not a high or a great creature, but to hand over the only begotten Son for the sake of us all. What does that mean about us? My goodness, who are we? What does that mean? Yeah, and, and the fact that he wants us in Christ so that when he loves the son for all eternity, he loves us in him. Yes. The father, yes. Yeah. Amazing how he desires, this, this is God's desire that we actually be sons in the son. Yes. That we really be in him and share in his divine sonship for all eternity. And hence the mystical body of Christ is what the church is for all eternity. Right. Father Tony Blunts. Pleasure to have you again on Beneath the Surface. Can't wait to have you the next time. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Whenever that is. All right. Father Anthony Blunt, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Paul Morano. You can get this and all of the other um, Beneath the Surface shows at my YouTube channel. Just look up Beneath the Surface with Paul Morano, my YouTube channel. And or you can just look it up but on uh, paulmorano.com, my personal website. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Have a great week. 
and may you bask in the divine mercy of Jesus Christ. God bless. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.